I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. My dad is an interesting guy. He was a formula race car driver, a medic in the Vietnam War, and a playwright. He rides a Harley and only drinks Grand Marnier. In short, he's an all-around interesting guy, and he has some pretty incredible stories. In this dad tale, he tells a story about the worst and last day of his brief but wondrous career as a waiter. Dad, you once worked as a server in a restaurant one summer, didn't you? I certainly did. I was working at the Boar's Head Sports Club in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I was a part-time server at that time. And Ferdy Bazine was the chef. And he always told me how to serve the French onion soup, which was in hot ceramic bowls. And he could pick the bowls up with his bare hands, but it was very hot for me. So, so when I took the bowls out to my uh, customers that were in the center of this room during the lunch time, and she had a decolletage that would uh, that would the world would recognize as very beautiful, and I spilled the French onion soup down this beautiful woman from Britain. And this French onion soup went down her breast. I thought, oh my God, a lawsuit. Oh, I picked up the iced tea and poured it down her. And, and she went from hot to cold in two seconds. And I didn't know whether to pick up the onions and the cheese that were dripping down her décolletage. But her husband was very uh, astute and escorted her to the bathroom as all this stuff was falling off of her. And I said, oh, I'm fired. There's no way that I could ever do this job again. 
and uh, Ferdy Bazine, the whole place became quiet. And I could hear some people saying, don't get him to serve. <laughs> and, and so Ferdy Bazine was poking out the swinging doors, wondering why everything was so silent. <laughs> and, and, and I had another, I had another hour to go and serving people. <laughs> And the, uh, the owner of the whole place, the Boar's Head Sports Club, was fortunately not there. But I said, oh my, he's going to find out, and I'm a goner. So anyway, having talked to Ferdy Bazine, uh, he said, well, you know, uh, Ed, you're, we, we enjoyed playing squash with you. That's... <laughs> You know, and the next morning, I came out uh, in my running shoes, going to take a run around Ednam Forest, where Boar's Head Sports Club was. And I heard this voice says, I say there, would you like to knock up a bit? And uh, they were in their tennis outfits. And uh, I jogged over to the husband and wife and... I said, I was so sorry to spill all that stuff on you. He says, oh, it was a jolly good show, but you know, you learn, don't you? And uh, I said, yeah. I said, would you like to play some uh, Canadian doubles? And I said, sure, sure. So he says, oh, I see you have your Adidas. They don't work. Adidas do not work. He said, well, that's the only shoes I have. I'll have to make them work. So we actually played Canadian doubles, and uh, I learned their names, Mr. and Mrs. Pertwee. Pertwee. That was their names, and they came there every summer to see Charlottesville and uh, enjoy the festivities in the Boar's Head Sports Club. They were avid tennis players, and uh, I'm not a very good tennis player. Or waiter. Or waiter. <laughs> yes. And I could see that my uh, future was not in waiting. I could see that. And uh, I was not going to become a New York captain of or a major D. I was not going to become that. I could see that. So I went on to other things. But I will never forget Mr. and Mrs. Pitley. And they will never forget you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners 
com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Emmanuel Lasenia on the show today of Domaine Jacques Lasenia. Hello, how are you? Fine, fine. Great to have you here on the show. Thanks. So, your dad planted the vines in the 1960s. Uh, yes, uh, my father planted the first vineyards in 1964. And you're in the Aube, in the Champagne Yes, district. we are in the south of Champagne. Champagne is a big uh, vinery region because it's extended uh, up to 300 kilometers from the north to the south. And we are very close to the south. And historically, it wasn't part of the Champagne region. Oh, it's a long, it's it's a part of the Champagne region, but it has been fight for a long time. And uh, mostly when they decided to regulate the appellation, we can say that, I think in 1927, uh, they put the Aube department as a second region. So it was called uh, Champagne from the second re region, something like that. So they fight against that. So, but uh, historically, yes, there, there is uh, vineyards uh, till the 13th century in the Aube. So it's not the problem, but uh, it's a question of a recent history between Reims and Troyes. <laughs> and you're in an area of the Aube with a bit more of a chalky soil. It's a very Mongue is very special in uh, Champagne because it's the only village to be alone. And uh, mostly in the Aube department, uh, uh, the main region is called La Côte des Bars. It's in the south of Aube department. And uh, this uh, Côte des Bars is mostly argile calcaire. I don't know in English. And uh, it's mostly Pinot Noir. Mongueux is also in Aube department, but it's a soil very close to La Côte des Blancs. So it's a chalky soil which is exactly the same than the Côte des Blancs, but uh, 15 million years older. <laughs> A little different. So your dad plants the vines in the 60s. How many growers work in Mangu? In Mangu, we are 80 growers. 22 are selling champagnes, including these 22. There is only, we are only 12 to do our own champagnes from Mangu, or a part, as, uh, uh, at least. And originally, your dad had sold to the cooperative. Originally, my father, when he started, because they were uh, farmers at the start, and they, because Mongueux uh, keep uh, the appellation in 1927, and they decided, because the Grand Maison wanted to have grapes, they decided to make plantation of vineyards on this. Uh, so my father, my uncle, they started in the 60s. And first of all, to sell grapes to the Grand Maison. And my father started to do wine in 1970. And the first uh, wine he was doing uh, was called Vin Nature de la Champagne. It was a still wine up to the 80s. And in the 80s, he decided to produce Champagne. One cuvee was a Blanc de Blanc from Mongueux, from his parcel. We can say it's uh, the, the cuvee we have, Le Cote, actually. It's the old parcel from my father. And the other cuvee, he, he gave grapes or juice to the uh, cooperative and he, he had back uh, some bottles. So he had only one cuvee from Mongue. And you originally weren't uh, in the wine business? 
No, 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 no. I didn't want to work in wine business. That's at first. And so what were you up to for those? No, I was, I was working in a packaging machines uh, manufacturer. I didn't want to work anyway in the wine business. I didn't study anything in wines and in vineyards. So I started to work for um, nine years in this company. It was a small company who was growing up. And uh, at the end for me, at the end for me, uh, when we were 120, I was not very well in this kind of big company for me. <laughs> uh, so I was looking for a new project to be alone. I was looking to do something alone. And at this period, my parents had a lot of financial uh, problem. And I said to them, uh, no, don't don't sell the vineyard. It's, it's a pity. So I, I, uh, I want to save it. So my project was not natural wines or uh, wines or selling wines or doing good wine or I, I don't know anything. It was just a project of a uh, uh, save the the family uh, company. <laughs> and what was your first run of vintages? Where did you I started start? in '99 uh, with my father. Tw 2000 uh, with my father. I started uh, alone 2001, but my first vintage really alone. It's 2002. Maybe you could walk us through a little bit. You already mentioned La Cote, which is a special old vine parcel, which you make a. a mm specific bottling that I really happen to enjoy, but maybe you could walk us through the different bottlings that you make uh, today or that you have made in the past, just so I can kind of understand the production. So in 2002, I originally I had only two cuvées, Les Vignes de Mongueux. Les Vignes de Mongueux, the focus of this cuvée is uh, the aperitif, uh, activate the palette for the meal. Uh, after that, we, we vinify all the parcels uh, separately. And I like very much Le Cote uh, sensation, the, the wine of this parcel. So that's why I do a cuvee of this. Uh, so that's the two first cuvee originally. After that, I started to do um, uh, barrels in 2004. So I make a cuvee which is called uh, La Colline Inspirée, the Inspired Hill. Okay. Because <laughs> Mangu is a hill. Mangu is a hill, yes, yeah. right. And La Colline Inspirée is, is the name of a poem. Huh? But anyway, this cuvee is only made in barrel, like Burgundy sensation. I do a vintage every year because I'm not considering that there is good vintage and bad vintage. It's just a human uh, approach. I do a vintage every year because I want to have the traceability and the, the, the year <laughs> in bottle. I do actually uh, a rosé, which is a blend between Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. It's a wrong rosé. It's mostly a blanc de blanc together with a, a red wine coming from our old parcel of Pinot Noir. I was doing, but I stopped this cuvee, Les Papiers Insolites, with also the Pinot Noir, which is a very natural cuvee uh, only from Pinot Noir with a small maceration in the press. But I take off the Pinot Noir, so these two cuvées, le rosé, the rosé and the Les Papiers Insolites, uh, will not exist anymore. And I start since 2010 a new cuvee uh, because among, in Mongueux we have uh, a clos, like in Burgundy or uh, oh, a wild vineyard. Yeah, and we have a clos inside a, a property which is named Clos Saint Sophie. And I started this cuvee, uh, a cuvee from this parcel from uh, vineyards planted uh, in 1968. I started a cuvee from 2010, which is not 
yet on the market, uh, probably 2015 or 16, I don't know exactly. This uh, I started this cuvée because uh, of the story of this parcel. It's a wonderful parcel. I love the wine from this parcel. And uh, the story is uh, in uh, 80, 50s, 60s, and there was a very famous horticulteur. I don't know the name in English, pepinierist. Uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, he, when Japanese wanted to open to the world, uh, the emperor sent two Japanese, two young Japanese, in Mongeux, in the close and Sophie, to learn uh, the culture of the vineyards, to learn to make wine, etc. And they stayed two years in close and Sophie, in 1876 and 1877. And they went back to Japan in 1877 with 100 plants from vineyards from Mongeux. And they started the first vineyard in Japan from from this parcel. <laughs> so the, the, the most important vineyard in Japan actually is close to the Fujimont and it's coming from Mongeux. <laughs> so we do this new cuvee. And um, I want to play now. So I do a lot of uh, small cuvee every year. Every year I do some cuvee, different cuvee. So I don't want to have a range of cuvee. But I want to have uh, also cuvee of the year. Or I don't know the name, actually. So sometimes you've released a single vintage wine, like in 05 and 03, where you've, you've released a champagne from one year. Yeah, yeah, every, every year. Oh, you do? Every okay. year I do a vintage. Yeah. Okay. And then at, you've also done a still wine at times. Sometimes, yeah. We have done that uh, one time in 2005, uh, because uh, the maturity in Mongeux is quite high uh, for Champagne. <laughs> so I do, uh, I have done uh, Coteau Champenois Blanc in 2005. Five, I have done three barrels. It was uh, very good. Uh, and uh, I have done that also in 2010. I have done six barrels because it's 12.5 degrees. Uh, but the acidity is very high, so I, I keep that in the in the end of my cellar, and uh, I will sell them later. I don't know when. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about how you work in the vineyards. You you take over from your family, from your dad, and mm -hmm. then did you implement any change in how the vines are being grown? The culture of the vineyards is uh, we have to be very. Enfin, it's difficult to say, I know this, I know this. <laughs> uh, so uh, I do a lot of experimentation also in the vineyard. I'm probably alone in Champagne to do what I do. The thing is, uh, the main goal is uh, we don't put anything in the soil. Either no herbicide, of course, no insecticide, no things to, to give... Um, uh, something to the plantation. So we leave the plants alone. We leave the herbs, uh, the grass, uh, in the middle of the, in, not the street, in the middle of the rows. But the grass, we never cut it. We leave the grass growing up uh, and we roll on it to, uh, because if you cut the grass, you, the grass is always uh, growing up. So we leave the grass growing and after we just, um, not cut, but roll on the grass, and it restitutes material to the soil. 
So it's a natural uh, composition. <laughs> so it creates a great competition with the vineyards. That means that the vineyards are not very high, but they are competing. Because of that, I don't have big yield, but it's a choice. But thanks to that, I never had uh, any roast since 12 years. So uh, I'm looking for a purity of the aromas of the terroir. It's, uh, so that's why I do this kind of method, uh, we can say, <laughs> in the vineyard. And so then you press the grapes after harvest and you yes. use a, a fairly large wooden press. Of, it's of a traditional press, yes, it's called uh, Pressoir Cocard, it's a brand. Ours is dated uh, from 1957. It's, uh, I, I still use that for one big reason, is we see what we do. Because in a modern press, uh, you put the grapes inside and you, you put the program in and after three hours, you have juice, that's all. But uh, what we do is uh, each press is different because it can rain, it can be sunny, it's the afternoon, it's the morning, it's the, the temperature is never the same. We see the grapes, the, um, the skin, etc. the progression of the press, and each press is different. And we, we test the juice, we split the juice, or we blend the juice, we, <laughs> every, it's every time different. Some of the wines you ferment in stainless steel, Yes. And then some in oak. And yes. sometimes that oak is from different places. What are the different decisions that you make in terms of élevage? The goal is each parcel is separate. A part is fermented in, uh, in tanks and a part is in fermentation in barrel for all the parcels. And after the choice of the barrels, uh, that's what you mean, is... Uh, it's simply uh, when we meet a winemaker and we test the wine and we decide, uh, yeah, okay, it can be a good combination, etc. And we make a lot of ex experimentation also with barrels. I have a lot of barrels coming from Burgundy, of course. It's a natural uh, composition. Most of my barrels are coming from Fuissé or the region of Macon. And I have barrels coming from uh, Jura. Uh, with Savagnin and also with Chardonnay, so it's interesting. And I have barrels coming from Cognac, which is a little bit special, we can say. <laughs> and what do you think that the Jura barrels or the Cognac barrels lend to the finished wine? It's, uh, we have to say that uh, a barrel, it's not a negative sensation, a barrel is a makeup. If it's a new barrel, if it's an old barrel, if it's coming from Jura, if it's coming from Burgundy, it's always a, a makeup. I mean, uh, it's, it gives a, always a sensation. The barrel is not completely um, uh, neutral. The tank is neutral. You put the juice in the tank, it's a reduction uh, area, but it's very neutral. The barrel is never neutral, which is interesting. So after, it could be strange to have barrel from Cognac or from Jura, but Anyway, even if it's a new barrel, it's never neutral. It gives uh, something to the wine. So uh, using barrels from special region, we can say, it's, it's just funny, but it's, it's not so different uh, compared to a barrel from Burgundy. 
It's also a combination if you take a barrel from Bourgogne. It seems to be natural, but it's not. <laughs> and how have you found the different wines that you've made to age over time? What is the apogee of a Vindemangu or a Le Cote or a Colleen Inspire? How long should I be keeping them before I open them? Or should I open them right away when I get them? We, we sell uh, all of our champagne only to wine shops in the world. Huh? Wine shops and uh, restaurants, wine bars and gastronomic restaurants. That's the only market we do. We don't sell at the domain. And so all the bottles living from the cellar must be ready to be drink. So for me, all the bottles we disgorge, uh, I wait a minimum of four months because before uh, leaving them from the cellar. And all the bottles uh, leaving the cellars are ready to be drink. Of course, you can wait if you prefer. <laughs> But, uh, for example, here in New York, uh, if, you, if you buy a bottle, she has already, uh, it has already six months disgorge. And after, the goal of each cuvee is different. Uh, the Vigne de Mongueux is a, is a young wine, uh, because I want this um, uh, aperitif sensation. Uh, and you can keep it longer because it's very fresh because of the shulk. But for me, it's good young also. So each bottle you can buy in, in a wine shops. In, each bottle is ready to be drink, from my point of view. <laughs> but each test is different. So, What do you see as the difference in taste between uh, the fresher Vindemangu and the Lecote? What does the older vines of the Lecote bring to what the wine in the bottle? First of all, the combination or the blend of the parcel is very important. Le Cote is only one parcel. It's the name of uh, Lyodi eh? uh, from the old vineyards of my father. And this, I, I do something special on this parcel because I keep bottle in the cellar and we disgorge bottle each year to blend, to be blend with the wine of the year. For example, the one actually uh, uh, which is uh, sold is 90% 2009. So it's mostly one vintage. And 10% bottle disgorge from 2006, 4 and 2. And uh, it's always the same parcel. But of course, it gives uh, a little uh, oxidation or a little evolution of the wine on a small part, which is a great combination. And each time we do that, each time we will do a new uh, fermentation in bottle, which give back aromas, etc. So it's a, it's a complex blend. <laughs> so you take a bottled wine and then you open it and then pour it into uh, the to the tank to the the tank that's yeah. not been bottled of the fresh wine of Lecote. Yes. Now, a lot of people blend reserve wines to yeah. make a more complex wine, uh -huh. but they often do it from wines either in yeah. tank or in wood. Why why have you chosen to bottle it and then open the bottle and then pour it back in? For uh, it's an experimentation first. I did this experimentation for 10 years. It's the minimum for this kind of experience because the thing, it's because of two things. The first is uh, when you do a fermentation, it's always give aromas. And in this kind of combination, for example, uh, you have the 2002, it's already fermented in tanks first, alcoholic fermentation at the harvest. 
When we put in bottles, the champagne method creates a second fermentation in bottles. It's like an alcoholic fermentation, a second. We disgorge, we put together with the 2004. In bottle, it's a third fermentation. We disgorge, we put together with the 2006. It's a four fermentation, <laughs> etc. And so a part of the wine have, have got five fermentation, which is very great for the aromas. This is the first thing. The second thing is uh, because of the bubble. Each wine, it can be a Grand Maison or a small producer, but each wine of Champagne is very fine because of the bubble. This Champagne method, this second fermentation in bottle, creates a very fine wine. And I decided to do, to um, make an exaggeration of this. So recreate this, but a little bit more, a little bit more and more on a small part. So in this type of wine, as I described, uh, there is five fermentation. And each time you create this uh, fineness. So we go further into fineness. It's the goal. <laughs> I don't know if it's a success, but <laughs> it's the goal. One of the things I've noticed about Le Cote is that the longer it sits in the glass, the more expressive it becomes. Mm. It takes a little time to show sometimes everything yes. that, it, that it's about. Um, do you think that that is a, a result of your production methods? It's mostly because of the parcel. The, what we do is uh, we try to catch and keep the aromas of the terroir. So it's a big uh, sentence, but uh, it's, uh, it's my goal is the terroir. It's not what I do. It's not the vinification method. It's mostly the terroir. So I try to be uh, uh, not up to the terroir, but under. So for Le Côté, for me, the main thing is the sensation of the terroir. After we have uh, some experimentation like this and some method uh, we use uh, to go further uh, in this expression, but it's just under the sensation of the terroir. Are there other aspects of your method that you think bring more terroir to the final glass? First of all, we use mostly tanks. As I described before, uh, barrel is always a, make, a little makeup. The, the, the tanks is very neutral for the aromas of the terroir. You cannot uh, uh, mask something. And the second thing, when we disgorge, uh, we never use any sulfur and we don't add any liquor in our bottle. So we disgorge everything à la volée without freezing the neck, like everybody. We disgorge à la volée and we don't add anything into the bottle. So we, uh, we try to keep the bottle as it is from the start. So no dosage, no, no. no sugar. No, since two years, uh, all of our cuvées are without any dosage. Before that, it was between zero and three grams per liter sugar added. Uh, and now, since two years, I decided to leave the wine as it is. What about the disgorgement? Do you use sulfur when you disgorge? Never. No, no. We never use sulfur during vinification, we never use sulfur in disgorgement, in bottling, etc. We don't use sulfur during all the process. So you sometimes blend three different vintages into the Vin de Mangu uh, yes. these days, and yes. you have uh, the blending regime that you talked about from Bottle for the Le Cote. Did you know from the start that that's what you wanted to do, or were those developments that came over time? Oh, it's, it's always an evolution. 
The goal is uh, most people in Champagne do a blend to have every year the same. But it's not my goal. Every year is different. Uh, it could be very boring for me to do the same every year. So, and also for people who drink, if you drink exactly the same from today and 10 years later, if you drink exactly the same, I, I think it's a little bit boring. So, no, no, we do evolution also because each harvest is different. Each vintage is different. So we can't do always the same. It's a, it's a pity thing. Uh, and we leave the wine very natural. So, of course, because of the harvest are not always the same, uh, we have wines very different. I try to find a way for each cuvee. Uh, I try to follow this way, but that's all. But every year is different. So let's talk about some of those years. I wonder if you could sort of recap for me your experience, both in the harvesting and then in what the wines taste like from 99 till now. We try to think uh, that we know, but finally we never know. <laughs> so each harvest, including the, the last one, 13, uh, we discover things each harvest. So each harvest is really different. Uh, we can compare some uh, analysis or some weather sensation or wine sensation to make a comparison between harvests. But I noticed that each one is a singular one. It's very typical. So it's, uh, it's always interesting anyway, even if it's a uh, bad uh, comportment like held, we, we've got held in eight, we've got frozen, uh, la gelée, like a, a frost, a frost in 2003. So it's a big disaster when we had that. But it's always an experience because, because after you see the wine, the comportment of the wine on the nature, it's always very interesting. So we learn a lot every year. At, at the moment, my point of view is every vintage is completely different. It's never the same. After, I prefer some ones to the other. It's like everybody. Huh? Some people prefer 2005 than 2004. I prefer 2004 or, or, or six than five, but it's, it's completely personal. So we try to be very... Um, under the comportment of the wine because uh, everybody can like or dislike it's, it's completely personal <laughs> but what would you say the characteristics of the different vintages are when you taste i mean what would be the difference between 04 and 05 if if you were to describe it to me the the, the difference between all the the vintages is mostly in mongeux it's mostly uh, around the fruit, the sensation of the fruit. Uh, it's very, generally speaking, it's very uh, exotic fruit and creamy wine in Mongue. And sometimes it's very, very, very exotic. Uh, pineapple, uh, sometimes it's much more uh, concentrate, like 2005. It was like melon, uh, uh, mandarin. Uh, sure, like orange. Yeah. yeah. So it's always, uh, we, we have different sensation in terms of fruit. After 2004, uh, it's a big harvest uh, and uh, less concentration, much more typical in Champagne, I can say, uh, much more straight, which is interesting also. Uh, five or six, they are very, or two, 2002, they are vintages, uh, very fruity, very, uh, I like that because the typicity of the terroir is, uh, is up. 
when I've tried other wines from Mangu from other producers, I've generally found them to be softer and more tropical than yours. Do you think that what you lend sometimes is precision and backbone to what can be fairly ripe kind of flavors? Uh, it's difficult to say, but uh, um, I try to do wine first. I don't want to do champagne first. I want to do wine first. It's uh, it's a small difference. Most of the people, I don't speak about Mongeux, huh, and I'm not against that, but most people try to do champagne first. The bubble and the not too much winey. Uh, some people in Mongeux don't like what I do because they think it's too whiny, it's too too much wine, it's not enough champagne. And I agree, it's a, it's a choice. Uh, so I like that, I like the wine sensation, but it, it's a choice. It's not better or worse, it's just a choice. Most of the people in Champagne prefer to do champagne with, a, uh, I can say, the bubble up to the wine. And we do the wine, we put the wine up to the bubble. That's why we do a fermentation with a very low temperature and with a, a low uh, quantity of sugar added uh, for the second fermentation to have a small bubble under the wine. And what about those yeasts that you use for the two fermentations? Are, are, what kind of yeasts are they? But the first fermentation in tanks and in barrels is completely natural. That means we the, the yeast is inside the the skin or the grapes and we have made a lot of studies about it and each parcel develops its own yeast that's what uh, we, we have to not put too much sulfur to to make a complete liberation of this yeast and to have a very complex cocktail of yeast this is the first fermentation at the harvest this is at the moment at the moment uh, we are the 2013 are in fermentation the fermentation, uh, the first fermentation at uh, our domain is normally between two months and four months around. It's depending on year. And the second fermentation in bottle, the champagne mitten, so we put yeast, uh, a selected yeast, which is a selection of yeast in champagne. In it's the one we use is a selection of yeast in aube. So, do you ever? To bring out more of that wine sensation as opposed to bubbles do you ever decant the wines or do you always serve them from bottle it's depending on bottle and it's depending also on what you want to do i mean um if you want to take aperitif uh, you have to cool the bottle i mean freeze the bottle a little bit if you want to test the wine uh, you can decant it because you will lose a maximum of bubble and have the sensation of the wine. So it's interesting for the tasting. I prefer personally a, a big glass, like a Burgundy glass or something like that, not losing too much bubble. For me, it's important in Champagne to keep the bubble. So we must have the sensation of the wine, but also the bubble. So I'm not completely agree to decant our wines. We can do it. It's interesting to smell or to have the sensation of the wine, but I would prefer a, a bigger glass, not the traditional flute of champagne. I don't like that, but a, a big glass of wine, and it's better to have a decantation into the glass. How many bottles do you release every year? I mean, roughly. We do around uh, 50,000 bottles a year. And have you changed that quantity to kind of develop more and more reserve wine? No, 
No, same since 99. It's around the same. It's depending on the yields. For mm -hmm. example, 13 is very low yield. Uh, probably it will be less bottles. It's generally between 45,000 and 55,000 bottles a year. Yeah. And what should we expect from the Clos Saint-Sophie when it is finally released? What what kind of flavor should I be looking for? Will it be similar to Colleen Inspiree or will no, it be no. similar to Le Cote or totally different? It's totally different for two reasons. The first is the parcel. The parcel is uh, has uh, this is, uh, typicity. The exposure of uh, Mongueux is sophist and Le Cote is East Sophist, and Clos and Sophie is East Sophist. Enfin, this part of Clos and Sophie, because I take only a small part of uh, Clos and Sophie, which is exposure East Sophie, so similar to Le Cote. That's why I wanted to take this small parcel. I have a good sensation. And uh, so it's very straight, very citrus, and very uh, grapefruit or lemon. First and after the vinification is a, for me a new vinification because we put uh, in fermentation in barrel. So these barrels coming from cognac, from Jura, from Burgundy. So we do on this parcel and we keep in barrel for six months, not more. And after we do the blend into a tanks and the Clos and Sophie is a vintage cuvee, only one year without any reserve wine. And uh, everything uh, fermented in barrel, but only for six months. And after we do the blend into the tank. So it's a small vinification in barrel compared to La, Close, La Colline Inspirée, which is a longer vinification in barrel. What do you expect the finished result to be? Will this be a, a wine for long aging? Will it be a wine for drinking? At, uh, at the moment, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, uh, the best is to say uh, we can drink young and we can keep longer. So, but uh, of course, there is on this parcel there is uh, high acidity coming from the soil and naturally because of the exposure. So we can expect that this cuvee will be a long guard, and also because it's only one vintage. When you do blend with reserve wine. You, you blend with old wines, which gives the sensation of older wine, which is easier to drink young. And with a vintage one, uh, it's always only one year. So uh, because in Champagne, you have two vinification, one in tanks and barrel and one in bottle, because it's a second fermentation in barrel and we keep in bottles only in bottle. So we can play on these two components in Champagne. Here on Le Clos and Sophie, we don't play with the first fermentation. We do a short uh, uh, vinification in, uh, after the fermentation, but we will play with a, a, longer, a longer time in bottle. You didn't go to winemaking school. Are there other winemakers or other writers that have triggered your own experimental thoughts in France or in other countries or in Champagne? Have there been people that inspired you uh, to pursue the path that you have? Uh, the thing is, uh, when I started, uh, my father was very natural in the wine. So I follow this way without any uh, focus about natural wines. And the second thing is uh, we have uh, close to Mongueux in Troyes in the city, we have uh, one of the first natural wine bar, which is called uh, Les Crieurs de Vin. And I was customer of this uh, restaurant and uh, I discovered the first natural wine uh, and it was a uh, good experience for me because of them. 
or thanks to them. And uh, I tried to meet some people uh, from this shop uh, and it has been a, a way to follow, of course, but it was not a focus about natural wines or it was not a marketing focus at the start. It's just because my father was doing that and I, uh, I just follow that. But with a parcellaire, parcel vinification, etc. But I go further. Because s someone else in your same position might have brought in a consulting analogist, but you decided not to do that. What led you to decide to say, okay, I'm going to make the wine my way and I'll figure it out? Uh, the thing is, in the wine industry, you have analogist people help vinificator uh, to do the things. And what I see when analogist first comes to see me, they say, you have to put that, this product, or you have to do that, filtration, or I don't know. If you don't do that, you will have this problem. Uh, the curiosity say, if I don't do this, uh, what's happened? <laughs> it's very, it's very funny to test. And uh, the curiosity, uh, my curiosity has uh, make uh, that I do natural wine because I don't put any products that they recommend to do it and etc. And each time we go further in it. The thing is, uh, this onologist uh, focus is only because we are in a world of industry. And I want to stay in a world of artisanal uh, things. And so industry needs, uh, we short the time. We want to go quick. We want to earn money. We want to produce more. We decide to not produce a lot. I don't mind. We decide to not go quickly. And we decide to do by hand, which is completely uh, the opposite of the general uh, <laughs> uh, things. So you've been there for about 14 years making the wine. If yes. In another 14 years, what do you think will have changed when you look back? I really don't know. <laughs> no, no, we, we will see. We never know. Emmanuel Lasagna of Jacques Lasagna. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks to you. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, all drink to that pod.com. That's I L L drink to that pod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.